Hey, college football fans. How's the weather where you live? Does it suck? Because it does here. Although the good thing is that being a teacher by day, I do have the bonus of a snow day, possibly. Uh, although this week they're saying maybe two or three, so cross my fingers, except it's not exactly what it sounds like. Uh, a lot of people assume that uh, when you get a snow day that it's just paradise. And I can say firsthand that there's a lot of work that goes into uh, a day off due to Mother Nature. Bip, I don't know about you. Yep, here, here's the teacher starting to complain about a day off due to snow. Uh, <laughs> also being married to a teacher, it's like I'm living with a kid every uh, every winter as she'll check the weather report about every five minutes in hopes that the weather conditions have gotten worse. And I'm like, you know, I'm happy for you, but tomorrow morning when you're in the comforts of our own home, I, I want you to give me a, a swift kick to the crotch before I leave so that my morning commute won't seem as bad by comparison. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it, it comes with the territory. You know, they say in the old adage that the three best things about being a teacher are uh, June, July, and August, but, you know, scattered <laughs> in some snow days here and there. That that makes it for uh, an enjoyable profession as well. Right. <laughs> well, good evening to everybody. This is episode nine now of Bowlful of Chips. Bip, I'm, I'm uh, happy to say that we've made it this far with some pretty smooth sailing. Things have been getting better as we've gone on. We've We've noticed some things that we want to improve. We've noticed some things that we've done well, and we thank all of you listeners who are still here. So, yeah, much, much, uh, much appreciate all of the uh, the loyal listeners that we have thus far. Yes, sir. Can't can't agree more. Well, since most of us can't or don't want to go out in this frigid weather, why not just pull up, grab a bowl full of chips, and enjoy? I am Chappy the guy whom college football makes happy. And I'm joined as always by my esteemed co-host, French Onion Bip. How goes it, good sir? <laughs> good. And and just when I thought I could no longer be surprised by the transfer portal, the Brew McCoy thing happens. And I know we'll get into that in just a minute, but man, my head's spinning. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, full disclosure, Bip and I, at times we're wondering, okay, now that it's the off season, are we going to have enough content to fill the amount of time that we usually cover because everybody knows that we can talk, but man, this transfer portal thing, I think this is going to keep us going for a good solid few months here, Bip. Yeah. It's like uh, college football has adopted its own uh, soap opera in the off season. Exactly. Exactly. As if, uh, you know, it needed any more drama with, with some of the things that have been going on in the past couple of years. Let's throw the transfer portal in there as well and, and uh, give that a run. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we here at Bowlful of Chips, we love football, we love funny, and we love <laughs> fart sounds. <laughs> now, Bip, I don't know about you, but being a guy, I am convinced that there will never be an age limit to laughing at flatulence and at fart sounds. There's, there's always good humor in that, and the great thing is there's so much diversity in fart sounds. So... Do you ever catch any grief from maybe the misses or even other quote unquote mature adults around you when, and they give you a look when you laugh, when a kid, you know, farts or you hear <laughs> something like that? No, I, I actually, uh, like I mentioned, uh, you know, and obviously you know this, my wife's a teacher and she'll have stories of, of a kid farting in class and she'll say that she needs to actually excuse herself because she catches herself laughing at it and, and, I, oh, I can't blame her. her. I can't blame her because, um, it, you know, I know that we try not to get uh, into risque topics like religion or, or gender roles on here, but I, farts are how I know that God is a guy. I mean, it, our Good. gastrointestinal systems could have been made any number of ways. Gas could be expelled without any noise or, or could be controlled better than what it is. But when it comes out as a burp or a fart, no matter how old you are, farts and to a little lesser extent burps will always be funny. And I always assume God made them that way for our own personal amusement. Um, and, sure. and I, and I tip my hat off to him for doing so, because like you said, it doesn't matter who does it when it's done. It's always funny. Yep. Job. Well done, sir. Job. Well done. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, anybody who tries to outgrow a, the humor of flatulence is just kidding themselves and they're suppressing their joy and all of the 
precious moments of life deep down in a place that is just dark and needs to be let out. So we here at Bull Pull of Chips it, it encourage everybody to laugh at your farts and to laugh <laughs> at others' farts. So that's going to give us a great segue here to our topic today, the transfer portal. So much like farts, you know, we have people in the portal who some are going to come out and you're going to be proud of. Some are going to be duds. And, and some of them are actually going to be, you know, the silent but deadly. So, so the guys that don't have a much fanfare going into it, uh, but end up, uh, you know, smelling like roses, uh, to have a <laughs> kind of an oxymoron, uh, uh, metaphor there, but you know, the Aaron Rodgers, JJ Watt, Baker Mayfields. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we're going to get into the goods of the transfer portal, the just in times and the left behinds, basically the players, the teams who are making out on the high end from this brand new phenomenon. And we're going to, we're going to break it down and explain it to you for all of those of you who are still a little bit confused about what this whole transfer portal thing means, uh, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, who can be eligible, when you can be eligible. We're going to try and break down everything as best we can and give you the Cliff Notes version of that. And then we're also going to have a little fun with this, and Biff and I are going to give you our transfer wish list team. So we'll get more into that in our, our second segment of this rundown. But first, we want to we want to let you know of our where you can find us outside of the podcast you're listening to. We are on Twitter, and we're getting to be more common on there in terms of our frequency. But I, Chappie, can be found at champion underscore lit on Twitter. And Bip, tell us where you, we can find you. And I can be found at BFC Bip. That's BFC BIP. There you go. And, you know, we we like to conversate with many other college football fans via the Twitter sphere. And here and there on Bowlful of Chips, we like to shout out to some people who have helped us along the way, who have given us some good insights, some some material to think about, and uh, some slight inspiration for our show. And this week, we want to give a, a quick throw to at Markham89. It's Jason Markham who writes for the Sea of Blue. It's the SBN website for the University of Kentucky Athletics. So you can follow him again at, at Markham89. And Check out at a sea of blue. Again, that's a Kentucky athletic website, um, not necessarily officially associated with the University of Kentucky, but it certainly gives you a lot of detailed information about the football team, the basketball team, baseball team, and anything else from the bluegrass state. So, um, Bip, I checked our countdown, and sadly, it hasn't gone any faster. We are still at 30 weeks till the start of the college football season. So, we're one week ahead. Um, but still, still a little too far away. Well, yeah, you gotta, you always gotta love when you hit those, uh, round numbers on the countdown. So here we are at 30, sure. uh, next one would be 25, which, uh, even that seems like a lifetime away, but, but we're chugging along. Yep. That's right. Uh, every great journey starts with a couple small steps. So, well, we are the podcast that gives you more than the mainstream potties do. We will throw details at you. We're going to back our claims with research, and it's not to say that others don't, but we like to take the little extra time to ensure that what we're saying is not just coming as expelled gas from you know where. Uh, we also have no political or occupational agenda. We are our objective, we're complimentary, and we're critical wherever such accusations need to be made. So, we're going to um, start off with our news and notes from this week, and it's something that we like to do on our first of two podcasts every week. And so, Bip, you kind of touched on part of it. It's, I mean, the transfer portal is going to be running college football news for really the next uh, few months, especially until uh, I think things will quiet down a little bit more once we get after the second signing day in early February here. But uh, let's get right off the bat and talk about some of the big names who have put themselves into the portal. Um, and you mentioned one, so why don't you go ahead and talk about Mr. McCoy? Yeah, uh, Brew McCoy having a, a, a stunner here. Um, and for those of you that didn't know, he was uh, committed and enrolled early to USC. Um, and then within a couple of weeks, he decides to put his name in the portal. Now, a lot of that has to do with what happened with Cliff, uh, Kingsbury. McCoy uh, committed and enrolled, and then a few days later, Cliff uh, splits for the Cardinals. Um, and so 
that supposedly is what left him second guessing himself. Uh, but I, I can't understand um, the entire rationale of it. I mean, he's got JT Daniels that's going to be thrown to him. He's got one of the best uh, groups of wide receivers to compliment him in the country. And if you think about, you know, USC went out and went after Cliff Kingsbury, you have to think that their replacement is going to be someone that's going to be throwing the ball all around the field as well. So kind of left my head scratching a little bit as to what Brew McCoy is thinking, um, especially knowing that he could be sitting out a year to start his career. Yeah, that's still up in the air. It's, it's to be determined um, if he's going to be immediately eligible at the University of Texas. But here's what makes me ponder this even more. He was high school teammates with Daniels and mm-hmm. Amon Ross St. Brown. So yep. the, the modern day connection, you would think that was a big reason why he decided to fight on and sign with the Trojans. And so, you know, I, I understand that a position coach and especially a coordinator is a big factor into the decision of where you decide to play. But at the same time, there's athletes at USC. There's certainly resources. There's opportunities. It's a factory to pave the way for NFL or future NFL stars. And I don't know that the University of Texas is a huge vertical move for him. Um, Right. And considering the fact that USC's, you know, right around where he grew up. um, Yeah. You know, I'm not sure exactly. I'm not sure exactly how far modern day is away, but I know that that, you know, they get tons of kids. uh, USC does get uh, tons of kids from that school and it's at least within the same state. So yeah, it's a um, whole lot closer than Austin, Texas. (laughs) Right. So, you know, like the Tate Tate Martell decision uh, by the NCAA for his eligibility, I think that the NCAA has a sticky situation on their hands here that if they let either or both of these kids play immediately this year, they're opening the door for, uh, you know, um, a scary precedent to be set that anyone else that comes through and has either of these same scenarios where there's not really a, a hardship that they faced in order to, you know, clear the the one year probationary period. Um, we could see guys, you know, open open season and free agency for college football. So interested yeah, to see what they come up with. Yeah, and that's the big thing, and and Pat Narduzzi kind of just spoke off about that this past week, and he said, it is free agency, and I don't like it, and we'll get more into that in just a moment when we we talk about our thoughts on transfers and and what might be some restrictions that need to be made regarding who can transfer, when they can transfer, and if coaching changes um, should be a a part of the rules that are set in quote-unquote black and white. So, well... I want to also uh, point out that we did our top 25 picks last week, and yours truly put the Virginia Tech Hokies at number 15. And almost to a day after that was recorded, we saw one of their starting quarterbacks, Josh Jackson, their second leading receiver, Eric Kuma, and their second leading rusher, Dexter McLeese, all put themselves into the portal, in addition to a few other guys who had already put themselves on the transfer market. So Virginia Tech is racking up the number of guys that are leaving that program. And it even caused head coach Justin Fuente to put out a release or a statement basically saying the state of Hokie football is fine. There's no nothing going on behind closed doors here. Everything is going to be good. Um, stay with us. But you have to wonder with, with all these top uh, performers from last year's team who only went uh, six and seven, barely made a bowl game, and they're losing a lot of their production. What's it going to be like for the Hokies this year? What do you think about that, Bip? Yeah, it almost seems like they're they're competing with Penn State to see how many guys are, are <laughs> leaving the program early. Um, yeah. I mean, now, Josh Jackson is 11 and five as a starter, but one of those losses was last year, the game that he got hurt in against Old Dominion, um, where once he left the game, they were outscored 21-7. Uh, and obviously went on to lose that that shocker of a game. Uh, decent yeah, athlete. You heard that right. That, own... was old, that was Old Dominion that beat Virginia Tech. <laughs> just in case anybody was uh, checking their their headsets. <laughs> you know, he's a, a decent athlete. Completes around sixty percent of his passes. However, when taking a look into uh, the wins that he's had, he's only beaten two ranked opponents, and uh, those two teams were West Virginia in 2017 and Florida state in 2018. Neither of those teams finished the season, uh, ranked. Um, so, you know, 
I think that Eric Kuma is for sure the bigger loss out of the two. Um, oh, I and, and I think Kuma is obviously uh, the biggest loss out of the three, actually, uh, because I think that Ryan Willis, I was kind of impressed by him uh, mm-hmm. last year when I heard that Virginia Tech got a transfer from Kansas. You know, I didn't really give him much credence, but he's he's really mobile for a big guy. He's got a good arm. And I think he would have beaten uh, Jackson out in the spring and the fall. So maybe that's a reason as to why Jackson would be transferring. But for Kuma, it's a little bit of a head scratcher. They Virginia Tech loses Sean Savoy. Um, they got yeah. very lucky that uh, Damon Hazleton decided to say decided to stay for his senior year. But yeah. Kuma had good numbers that he could build upon within this next year. And the fact that Virginia Tech's going to be out two of their top three receivers, things are going to be looking a little iffy in the passing game coming up for the Hokies. Yeah, and and you know, I guess I was going to get to my next question to you, and that is, how far do you think Virginia Tech drops? I'm going to chime in real quick and say, I would, uh, you know, when we re-release our top 25 in a couple of weeks, uh, once spring ball gets going and and once those practices get out of the way, um, and certainly after the the next signing day. I don't think that there's a lot of cause for alarm for Hokie fans here. I agree. I think Ryan Willis is their better option at quarterback from a holistic standpoint. I think at receiver, Trey Turner is going to be their top receiver along with Hazleton. So they'll have two guys on the outside who can do pretty well. And you know that Virginia Tech being in that uh, that Virginia um, Chesapeake area, they can recruit well. And look out for Ty Wheatley's son, um, uh, Jarrell Wheatley coming out of the backfield. I think that he is somebody who might take the the running back spot this year. He showed some pretty good flashes at the end of last season, especially on special teams as a kick returner. So if I'm looking at the Hokies through the magnifying glass, I don't I don't see a ton of cause for concern, but you certainly hope that the bleeding stops here and, and nobody else leaves uh, of significance. Yeah, and what might be interesting too is, is not only our Penn State and Virginia Tech fighting for who's going to lose most players this year, but they also go head to head in a lot of recruiting battles. So as far as who the teams are, or who the guys are, will be transferring to, I'll be interested to see how many guys uh, swap teams, you know, swap places from Penn State to Virginia Tech and vice versa, yeah. if any. But, you know, uh, a guy like Jawan Johnson uh, might be a perfect fit in Virginia Tech now that, uh, you know, it would be him and Hazleton or, you know, you, you could see potentially going back to, okay, who are the guys that originally recruited um, uh, the guys that went to Tech and, right. and Penn State and how many uh, crossovers they have here. So, yep. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, we'll just kind of breeze through the last few notes here because I know that uh, we're already getting our blood going on this transfer portal thing. So a couple new coordinator hires. Bob Diaco is the new D coordinator at Louisiana Tech, who um, they did a pretty good job running their defense last year. And uh, one of the top 25 defenses in the country, um, but their D coordinator left for, I I, I sound Miami. uh, (laughs) <laughs> Miami, that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. thank you. And, and and Blake Baker is someone to to keep an eye out for because, like you said, it's not an easy job to have a top twenty five defense at a place like Louisiana Tech. So, right. with him getting as much talent as he's going to have at the University of Miami, he's someone that uh, could be on a uh, the the rising list of of young uh, talented coaches. Yep. And then uh, another one of note, Les Caning is the new D coordinator at Kansas. And I think that Les Miles is putting together a pretty good staff there. Uh, even though he lost um, his offensive coordinator, um, Chip Lindsey, to become the new head coach at Troy when uh, Neil Brown left for the uh, uh, West Virginia job, I think that Les Miles is, is not only putting together a pretty good staff, but he, he's putting together a decent recruiting class, and I think he's getting some help on the JUCO ranks as well. And and that's a a roster that is workable, at least in his first year there as well, Bip. Yeah, I thought he would actually go kind of the route of trying to get a, a young, creative offensive coordinator. Um, looking at uh, – is it is it Caning or Coning? Um, uh, I'm not sure. I, okay. I want to keep but, um, <laughs> okay. Looking at his resume, I mean, he's been an offense coordinator at several different positions, but he is 40, uh, 59 years old, uh, coming from the, the running backs coach uh, spot at Southern Miss. And he was under Dan Mullen at Mississippi State for four years. 
um, right. including two years with Dak Prescott. But Dak Prescott's two years uh, were were done after um, Caning had left. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, with Les Miles having so much trouble creating offense at LSU and that really being his downfall um, at the university, I really thought that he may have tried to go out for a home run hire. Now, at this point in the process, I know he's probably got slim pickings to choose from, but sure. I really thought that he would go after someone that might be a little more creative, a little more exciting offensively. Um, so we'll see what happens, though. I mean, I mean, Caning does have a great deal of experience, and sure. Um, I'm sure he's got some experience uh, or, or, you know, some familiarity with, with Les Miles in the past. So we'll and, see how it goes, know, though. And the other thing, too, is sometimes at a position like this, it's almost uh, catch-22 hiring a young and up-and-comer because you know that they're looking for the next best thing. And, and let's be honest, right. right now, Kansas is not in the top tier of the Big 12. So I think maybe it was a wise hire to go with somebody who's got a little bit more experience, somebody who's maybe looking to settle down at least for uh, a handful of years. And um, if he does get that bigger offer, then he might go. But uh, it's a little bit more feasible to see someone like Koenig stay there for a little bit longer as opposed to somebody who's in their late 20s, early 30s, who's kind of just looking at this as a stepping stone. And then once this flashes in the pan, somebody's going to want to snatch him up and, and look long term. So uh, no, that's a we'll, good point. we'll see. Um, we'll see how the the new famed actor Les Miles does back on the on the gridiron sideline sidelines. So, um, you know, you, you, you've seen him in some of those Dos Equis commercials, right? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and, uh, the, the I, second most interesting man in the world. Exactly right, and uh, <laughs> I hate to break it to you, Les, but your acting skills rank up there just slightly ahead of Michael Jordan. So, <laughs> um, other news: Bevo is said he will stay on the UT sidelines. There was that little bit of scuffle up with Uga from Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Yep, just, glad to uh, see that as he. Ago. Yeah, he's he's maybe the best, uh, you know, actual live mascot that there is in college football. So glad to hear that. Yeah, and and better them to handle him than me because that's uh, that's a big mammoth beast there that you got to keep under wraps. But uh, they yeah. seem to do it well down at UT. Yep. Um, and then you know the last thing was the the little bit of uh, shame from Florida State in their tweet uh, regarding Martin Luther King on on the holiday, trying to capitalize off of the the importance of the holiday but you know some were had their uh their tomahawk feathers ruffled a little bit with the tomahawk chop extending from dr king's hand um you know again we live in a in an overly pc world and uh i i understand where some people took offense to that but at the same time you wonder if it was just media sens sens sensationalism just trying to to make a story yeah, I didn't really see a huge problem with it. If some people are offended by it, I can understand by just, you know, the brevity of, of who Dr. King was and what sure. he stood for. But, you know, there's plenty of ads that use George Washington, Ben Franklin, Abe Lincoln, and, you know, just right. about everyone's used the Uncle Sam, I want you poster. And no one complains yeah. about exploiting the recruiting efforts of, you know, World War One and Two to sell, you know, potato chips or, you know, sure. what have you. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess people are going to complain if they want to complain. So exactly. Uh, but uh, all right. Well, let's get right into this portal thing. So um, let's lay it out. Here's basically what you need to know about the transfer portal. It uh, was recently started um, really under the radar in October of this year. And so players now can enter this portal or basically put their name on the transfer market but it, it really is like free agency. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to transfer. It just means that they are giving other coaches and other programs permission to talk to them. And they're letting their current program know, hey, I'm exploring my options. However, the trade-off is, and I just learned about this, is that current school can basically get rid of their scholarship and uh, give it to somebody else. So it's kind of like, okay, you're taking that risk and maybe you get high reward, but if people come back and they say, well, we're not really interested in you, we'll give you a preferred walk-on sp spot, and then you decide you want to stay, your current team, your current coaching staff could say, uh, to heck with you, we've, we've given it to somebody else who who's going to show us some loyalty. So um, although BIP, it does look like it's benefited more players than it's hurt more players so far. Yeah, and another interesting piece that I kind of learned was when when a player decides to transfer and they uh, you know officially announce it, 
nothing binds them to that school that they say that they're transferring to, uh, I believe, until they um, enroll in classes. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, you know, even even applying for the financial aid and whatnot, similar to, you know, verbal offers uh, or verbal commitments in, in the high school uh, ranks. Uh, nothing's nothing's set in stone until you actually set foot on campus officially. Right. And, you know, I kind of look at it as as, it's like going on a job board. It's like putting your resume on Indeed or Monster.com. There's some free plugs for you for those websites. Um, (laughs) You can explore your options and it doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to leave your position of employment. However, just like uh, at work, if, if they see that you are exploring other options, they have the option then of saying, okay, um, we don't like that and we're going to fill your spot with somebody else or they're going to maybe work with you. So sometimes you could turn it into um, you know, a, a promotion for yourself and, and use that maybe as leverage, but sometimes it can also come back and backfire on you. So those are things that some of these players – need to know. And, and you would imagine that they have been made aware of that by, by various intelligence people around them. Yeah, that's a great uh, analogy that you have there. It could be an oh shoot moment for them if their scholarship gets pulled and no one else comes knocking on their door, right. or it could be a great stepping stone for them. Yeah. So we are going to, um, we're going to start with who the winners and who the left behinds are in this transfer season. And then we're going to come back and Bip and I are going to basically uh, have a, a go at it for what we think about the transfer rules and if there's any changes we would like to make. Um, so, Bip, let's start by going to you. Give us four offensive uh, people who are in the transfer portal who have either transferred and gone somewhere else or are just in the portal and still waiting to be picked up. Who are four guys on the offensive side of the ball that um, you think are maybe the most talented? Well, I had um, a couple guys that uh, I was thinking of. I, I think uh, Asa Martin comes to mind first and foremost. Um, sure. Number three running back in the in the class of 2018, according to rivals, as far as running backs are concerned. Uh, and actually, his story is kind of interesting. He transferred because Auburn botched his redshirt this year. He appeared in four games and was inserted into the lineup uh, against Mississippi State. And apparently his mom even talked to Chip Lindsay before that game and told him not to put him in against Mississippi State because that would burn his red shirt. But uh, the coaching staff went with their website that had not shown him being in for the Arkansas game. And so that that's how this whole thing stemmed. A couple other guys that I I had my eye on um, OJ Osborne transferring from Buffalo to Miami. And um, then, you know, the obvious. Fields, Martell, Bryant, and Hertz. Sure, um, yeah. So those were the the offensive guys that really stuck out for me. Yeah, I had Hertz and I had uh, Justin Fields as two of my four offensive guys. Clearly, they you know I look I start with Jalen Hertz. I look at him as more of a leader and and really he's I think he's a great locker room presence and I think he's a great addition from a a teammate perspective. Now, granted, he does have talent. He's a very mm-hmm. accurate passer. Uh, he's pretty good with his feet. Um, you know, he's not a Kyler Murray, but he's going to extend plays, and he does a good job of keeping his eyes downfield. Justin Fields has a lot of hype around him, but he really hasn't been given that chance to shine. So is he going to be like Kyler Murray, who had a lot of hype, and it comes out and it shows that, dang, this guy is really good and he's worth the hype, or is he going to be somebody who faces adversity and um, it's not really playing out to what you thought it might be? So, um, you know, by all accounts, Justin Fields is going to be a good quarterback, but he was really just given short-term duties, and that's why he transferred from Georgia is because he felt that he should be given more. And certainly he's going to be put into a great resource bin in Ohio State this year. Yeah, um, and I'm really interested to see what happens with him because remember, for every Kyler Murray, there's also a Mitch Mustaine, a Kyle Allen, and you know, no, you know, endless amounts of five star guys that don't pan out. So, sure. Um, I, I did go with Brew McCoy as one of my top offensive talents. The guy just, I mean, watching him in the uh, Army All American game, I'm still going to call it that. I don't know what it is called anymore, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with Army All American. Um, so kind of like when we talk about bowl games, I don't go by their corporate sponsors anymore. It's still, you know, this bowl or that bowl as opposed to throwing out four or five corporate sponsors ahead of it. Um, 
but the guy is just a talent and he's still listed as an athlete. I, I would assume that especially going to the University of Texas now, he will be at that wide receiver spot to try and fill the void for LJ Humphreys. He would be a great addition with uh, Devin DuVernay and Colin Johnson there at in Austin. But um, I think the guy's just got a lot of talent. He's six foot four. He's over 200 pounds. Um, just a big body and and a great athlete downfield and, and man he can go up and get it. he's got a set of mitts on him that is going to make it very good for Sam Ellinger this year and then mm-hmm. I'm going to go a little bit uh, outside of the norm and I'm going to throw an offensive lineman because I know the the importance that that front group can give and Drew Richmond going to ten or from Tennessee he hasn't been picked up by anybody yet but he's a four star offensive tackle uh, good size. They, you know, they do a good job at the University of Tennessee developing linemen. And so he put his name in the transfer portal this year. I think that somebody's going to be very fortunate by picking him up. He was a, a fairly high recruit, just like Tennessee is used to getting. So keep an eye out for Richmond on that offensive line. It'll be I'm really curious to see where he lands next year or this year. Yeah, I've had say. my. I've had my eye on him as well, uh, because like you mentioned, I think he was as high as 13th in the country uh, yeah. overall uh, by rivals when he when he came in to uh, the Vols. And this seems like if he can get under the right uh, system with the right coaching, he could easily vault himself to the, the first or second day of the draft if he has a good year. Right, right. What about defense, Bip? Uh, I know that defense, they say, wins championships, even though it seems like that's gone by the wayside in college football nowadays. Who are four defensive guys that, if you were looking at the transfer portal, these were four guys who would be top on your list that you would want to nab for your program? Well, I really only came down to a couple of them. Um okay. First one being Jalen Phillips. Now, this is a guy that was as high as number one player in the country overall in the class of 2017, uh, according to at least one recruiting service, and was top 10 in most. He played in six games as a freshman in 2017, only four last year. Uh, injuries have kind of derailed him so far. Yeah. And I thought I had read somewhere that he had retired at some point, um, I think after this year, but had put his name in the transfer portal. was going to give it a go again. Um, you know, a really talented, really physically impressive guy um, that plays the, you know, the defensive end slash outside linebacker spot. Um, Lots of buzz about him potentially joining Miami and that already stacked uh, transfer class. But uh, also thinking about Arizona State, USC, Stanford. Um, So whoever gets this guy, if they can keep him healthy and if he can keep his mind right, because I know, uh, I haven't experienced it myself, but I have to imagine it's got to be really tough for for these guys who are so talented but can't stay on the field and have to go through all the rehab and all the the mental anguish of um, being prepared for the season, going out for the season due to injury. So I'll be really keeping an eye on wherever he lands because they could be getting something really, someone really special. Sure. And then my other guy is Lamont Wade from uh, Penn State, yes. uh, one of the top defensive back recruits in the class of 2017. Kind of undersized, but plays a lot bigger than what he is. I think he's only listed at 5'9", mm-hmm. um, but he'll, he'll be a junior next year. And uh, potential landing spots for him, Pitt, Maryland, West Virginia, all three of those schools could use some help in the in the secondary. So regardless of whether he sticks at corner or safety, I think you could see him on the field next year. And especially if he lands in, in Pitt, I'm interested to see how he might be used by Pat Narduzzi. Um, I was just the how, same thing. Yep. And, and, and he is a Pittsburgh guy. He's, he's from the state of Pittsburgh. So, uh, or I'm sorry, from the state of Pennsylvania. So I was going to say, um, let's go back to geography class there for just a moment. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the two guys that I, that I had my eye on most as far as most talented defensive players in the, in the portal. But uh, how about you, Jappy? Who do you have your eye on? Well, I, I originally I kind of made a, a whole defensive roster, but just because I'm a I'm a freak like that. But I did have Lamont Wade there as one of my top DBs. But I'm going to give you three linebackers and a defensive lineman. So I did have Jalen Phillips as my number one. He was the number one recruit. I agree. If if he can stay healthy, uh, it sounds like Miami would be a great landing spot for him under new coach Manny Diaz, um, and then Baker, their new D coordinator. Uh, that would be an addition, and I don't. He would be sitting out this year, I believe, right, Bip? 
Yeah, I think so. Unless okay. he could, because he only played in four games last year, if he yeah. could somehow uh, apply for a waiver. either, yeah, um, that last year is his redshirt year or a medical waiver of some sort, right. maybe he yeah. could get through this year. Yeah, and, you know, it might behoove him to uh, sit out, get accustomed to the system and rehab anyway, because they do have uh, their top three linebackers coming back at Miami, right. which is going to make them a, a another stellar squad on that defensive side of the ball. So um, he doesn't have to play right away this year. Obviously, any great athlete is going to want to play. But if you can have another year to, to get mentally and physically right for the job, um, come 2020, he'll, he'll be able to step right in. Another linebacker transferring from Michigan and ending up at Rutgers is Drew Singleton. Now, Singleton is a four-star recruit, and I put him on there because – you know that Michigan coaches the heck out of their defensive guys, and Don Brown has given him some him some really good tutelage. I think that he comes there as maybe one of the more intelligent uh, linebackers from a, a pretty good defensive factory in Ann Arbor. So I like Drew Singleton there at Rutgers, and you know he's they've got a spot for him right away. And Chris Ash does do a pretty good job there with his defense, and he took a little bit more of a hands-on approach coaching in the second half of the season this year, um, starting to call defense, and he was the D coordinator at Ohio State before that. So um, keep an eye on Singleton. Another linebacker, Oluwole uh, Batiko Jr., who comes from USC, and he has not landed anywhere yet, but he was a former five-star recruit, was as high as 15th in the country. Um, things just have not really panned out for him and and we'll talk about you know all the other uh attrition that usc has faced from the transfer portal but i like his name in that system and and somebody's going to be fortunate to pick him up and again if he assuming that he can blend in with the chemistry of whatever team he lands with and then a fourth guy is another former michigan transfer aubrey solomon who's a very highly recruited defensive tackle he's a five-star i think he was as high as like three or four in some recruiting services um was buried, not really buried, but he found himself kind of out of reach in a very deep defensive line pool this year, felt it was going to be best for him to transfer. So he's going to be with Jeremy Pruitt in Knoxville, and you know Pruitt's a defensive mind. That defense is going to be one that you, you're going to want to take a look at this year. They're going to have some some pretty good guys coming in, both uh, returning from last year's squad, but also from transfers and, and a pretty good recruiting class as well. Yeah, I was really surprised that all, that Solomon did uh, transfers. It seemed like he was primed to step in and get a lot of playing time this year. But can't fault him for going to want to play for uh, Pruitt. I mean, at, at least it's uh, you know a, a semi-lateral move as far as that's concerned. But it really kind of a head scratcher to me as to why he would why he wanted to leave the Wolverines this year. Yeah, I know. And and when you look at what they've got there in Ann Arbor, if you have the shot to make the the top two at any position, why would you go? But, right. you know, maybe there's more to the story that we were not completely aware of. And again, it's not as if he's going to a place where he was going to be a big fish in a small pond. He's going to Knoxville, he's going to the SEC, and he's going to play for who's considered to be one of the better defensive minds in the country in Jeremy Pruitt. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, those are the four guys I had defensively. Um, okay. Let's, let's talk now from the team perspective, who are, who is a team or who are a couple teams? If you have more than one bit that you think gained the most from this transfer portal so far, I think the, the easy answer is Miami. Um, you think? I mean, they, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and they're still not done, uh, getting uh, OJ Osborne, uh, to that, uh, receiving, uh, core getting Tate yeah. Martell getting, I think what, what could be a really underrated one. They got, uh, what, sounds like is going to be their starting left tackle from Butler. Tommy um, Kennedy, yeah. Yeah, they, they seem to be getting a well-rounded amount of uh, touching a lot of the major need positions that they had going into going into 2019. So they're my number one winner. Number two, I think I'm going to put UCF at this point, just the fact that they have a replacement for Mackenzie Milton, who could keep uh, the ship uh, upright as they go through uh, their time without Milton to see how good uh, the Knights can be this year and if they're going to go through another regular season unscathed. So those are the two teams that I had so far. But uh, what about you? Who did you have? 
Well, yeah, Miami is really the softball answer. Um, right. <laughs> the other two teams that I, I think people need to take a close look at is the University of Illinois. And being a Northwestern fan, um, it's kind of nice to see that they're getting some competitive depth on their roster. Maybe a little bit a uh, little bit anxious here as I sit, but... You know, they get Luke Ford transferring from Georgia, and he was a four-star recruit at tight end uh, when he went to the Bulldogs. He's coming back. They get A.D. Miller from Oklahoma, who's a three-star guy, but you know he's fast. You know that they recruit guys at Oklahoma who, who they've seen things, and they can, they can run crisp routes, they can catch the ball, and they can get separation downfield. Um, and they also get Richie Pettibone, an offensive line transfer from the University of Alabama. And anytime you can get an offensive lineman from the Crimson Tide, you know you're doing something right. So Illinois mm-hmm. will be a team to look out for. Now, my big question there, and we'll talk more about it as we get into our team previews or our conference previews for twenty eight or 2019, is they lack a lot of chemistry and they lack a lot of um, cohesiveness and, and, and positive direction so far. So you're, they're getting the good guys. Can they fit them into the right places in there? That'll be left to be seen for the gray beard coach Lovey Smith up there. Um, yeah. And they also have their, their own share of guys that are in the portal uh, right. as it is as well. So <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, do, it, they, it's do, really... they re- do they replace enough? Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like budgeting your, your bank account in college, you're, you're bringing some stuff in, but then you're realizing that you got a lot of things, uh, leaving the bank account too. So, yeah, right. Um, and then another team, believe it or not, is Oregon state. I was kind of surprised when we were doing research for this, they're getting some, some decent guys at, at the need positions and at skill positions up there with Jonathan Smith and Corvallis, Oregon. And they were a team BIP that I looked at at the beginning of last season. I really liked Jonathan Smith. He was the quarterback that led them to an 11 and one season back in, I want to say it was 05. And I know that they played Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. And I hate to bring that up, but I, I think they waxed him yeah. pretty well. <laughs> yeah. And, and I didn't do that out of spite. I, I promise you, brother. But, um, right. you know, he's, he's definitely a, a very smart coach, a, a good offensive mind. Um, but they, they needed some help on the defensive side of the ball. And, and they're, they're getting it at defensive tackle. Um, they bring in Nathan Eldridge, who's a transfer from Arizona on the offensive line. Um, they, uh, I'm trying to look for, you know, a couple of the, the other names here that they kind of left me, but I know that that's uh, that's a school that is, is starting to get some guys and, and turn a, a few heads in terms of uh, players who are, are joining that roster. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, coach Smith can do with them up there in Corvallis. And um, the other two guys who really transferred mid season are two guys from Nebraska, Tristan Jebbia um, was a quarterback and he was a four-star pro style quarterback recruit from the state of California. And then also Tyjon Lindsay who came from Colorado, I believe, but he also was a Nebraska transfer who decided that the Scott Frost era wasn't for him. So those are two guys who can help out on the offensive side of the ball immediately next year. So keep an eye out for the Beavers. What about defensively? Who do you see um, from a defensive standpoint, BIP, uh, or I'm sorry, not defensive, but uh, teams that have maybe suffered in the transfer portal who have lost? I know you mentioned Penn State and we talked about Virginia Tech, but are there any others that kind of jumped out? Yeah, and it's uh, an ongoing one. Uh, the USC Trojans just keep getting shot in the foot, shot in the foot, shot in the foot this offseason, both from yeah, the coaching have. staff and from uh, a player perspective. And it, it's really shocking because, you know, you look at the names that have left, uh, Bubba Bolden, Levi Jones, uh, Batiku, as you mentioned, Yakili Ross, and now Trayvon Sidney has put his name in there. It's really a who's who of recruiting of the past few years in regards yeah. to the good gets that USC has gotten. Um, so it, just a mass exodus of not only talent, but but big time talent that's that's leaving the Trojans. Uh, so they were one team there. And one of the uh, we, we mentioned Penn State as well, uh, but a, a underrated team that I think has had some good talent leave is the uh, the Texas Longhorns. Um they lose uh, their their running back Carter, um, and then two quarterbacks, Cameron Rising and Shane Bouchel, which puts yeah. them at a little bit of a scary position as it relates to quarterback depth going into this season. Um, I think you had touched upon this on a previous podcast of Sam Ellinger's uh, playing style, how he likes to run the ball, and how he's kind of fearless uh, when he does run the ball. 
if anything happens to him, that could be Texas's entire season going up in smoke as, um, you know, losing one quarterback can set a team back in the future, but losing two in the same year can, can cripple them both in the, in the present and the future. Um, so, so what happens if Ellinger does get nicked up throughout the season now that they don't have their, um, you know, their, their next two or two or the next three in line, uh, past Ellinger. Yeah, and I mean, if Shane Bouchelle was still there backing him up, I would say they don't miss much of a beat if Ellinger goes down or if Ellinger, right. you know, needs a week or two off, uh, maybe in the softer part of their schedule. But, um, you know, Casey Thompson is staying, but I don't know a whole lot about him. I, I certainly don't have a lot of confidence in what he can do stepping in right away if uh, Ellinger does get hurt. So, It'll be right. interesting to see what Texas does in terms of do they go in and try and get a serviceable transfer guy, even if they um, try and bring somebody up from maybe a, a lower division from one of those talent-rich Texas schools in, in the FCS level, um, mm-hmm. or do they make a, a late push at somebody in this uh, upcoming signing day to try and uh, shore up that depth there? Um, yeah. You know, a team that I, I look at in terms of, uh, aside from USC and then the ones that we mentioned, Penn State and Virginia Tech, who maybe has lost a little bit, is Auburn. And Auburn kind of started to bleed a little bit during the season last year. We talked about Asa Martin, but they also lost Nate Craig Myers, who ended up transferring to Colorado State. I think that's a good fit for him and Mike Bobo out there in uh, Colorado um, in uh, Fort Collins. But they also mm-hmm. lost um, tight end Jalen Harris, defensive tackle John Tavius Johnson. Um, you know, so they you wonder what the culture is there on the plains. And, you know, we, we touched on it on our last podcast. This is really going to be a, a, a fire year for Gus Malzahn. Either he's going to light the fire and the things will be great on the plains again, or he might get fired uh, based on what happens. And so you, you kind of wonder and you try and read between the tea leaves with these guys leaving or putting themselves in the portal. Is this a place that some of these recruits are now saying it's not for me or we're being promised things that we're not being delivered. And I know that happens all over college football, but to see it at places like USC and UCLA, Penn State, Virginia Tech, and now Auburn, you kind of wonder what is that culture like? And this transfer portal, we could see as it unfolds, will have a big effect on future years of recruiting and what recruits will look at because this thing is all public. And so as we're talking about this now, there might be some recruits who are reading it, they're listening to it on podcasts like ours and saying, okay, why are so many of these guys jumping in? And is this a place where I can feel comfortable committing to? Yeah, that's a great point of the visibility that this transfer transfer portal has and what kind of effect it'll have on future recruits, because I know if, if it were me personally and I were getting recruited by a Penn State or Virginia Tech and I'm seeing this, I might at least do a little further digging to say, hey, coach, what's going on? Or to maybe ask some of the uh, reach out to some of the athletes that have transferred um, or some of the guys that you go on your recruiting trips of, you know, what's the locker room like? What's going on with these guys? Were they just bad apples to begin with? Or do they have kind of a, some legitimacy to, to seeking other opportunities? Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, well, let's talk about the transfer rules a bit because you and I have kind of gone back and forth off air and, um, you know, looking at, well, what do you think about this situation? And uh, does this rule apply or should this rule be put in? So um, let me break down for you some of my thoughts on the transfer rules. So sure. um, first of all, I, I think that, you know, I, I'm all about giving these players their fair shot, but at the same time, for the preservation of the integrity of the game of college football, you don't want to set any dangerous precedents because as we know in our world today, um, everyone's going to take a mile if you give them an inch. So my thought on the uh, immediability, uh, or I'm sorry, the immediate availability of players, I think that if you play one game or less, you should be able to redshirt and you can transfer and be eligible the next year. However, if you transfer to a school within the same conference or on a team schedule within the next two years, I think that you need to sit out a year um, unless the team who's releasing you says, we don't care, um, we'll give you permission. Um, and maybe that shouldn't even be in the in the legislation. Maybe it should just be um, you can transfer and be eligible if you've played that one game or less. So that's not taking into account the four-game redshirt rule. That's taking in a player comes in, um, plays one game, 
and then decides afterwards that for whatever the reason, I'm not happy here, I want to put my name uh, out to be transferred, he should be eligible the next year and not have to sit out that whole year. The only caveat to that is he has, if he wants to be eligible, he has to transfer to a school that is either out of the conference or is not on the regular season schedule for that team uh, coming up in the next two years. Do you think that's something that uh, would play BIP or do you have issue with that? No, I could see that happening because then, um, you know, you, you at least, you know, for guys like uh, Tate Martell, Justin Fields, they, they played in enough games this year to where that wouldn't really apply to them. But if it's right. really a guy that gets there, goes through spring and or fall camp and just kind of says, this isn't my kind of thing. Or if it was a Brew McCoy situation to where uh, he sticks it out and has the new offense coordinator come in and says, man, I got through fall camp and I'm really not liking what my opportunity is here, both in the present and in the future, then maybe I, I transfer, um, you know, within the first game or two and I'm, a, I'm able to be eligible next year, especially in his case, if he transfers to Texas, um, assuming that USC and Texas wouldn't be playing on the next year's schedule. Right. Um, so I see, I see some validity to that. And, and I also find it odd, you know, I'm not for immediate eligibility of transfer players. Uh, and I'm not either. Much. I just wanted to be clear on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do, to play devil's advocate, I mean, grad transfer players can can play immediately, and I don't think that they have any restriction as to where they go. So it, to, you know, the, the majority of the reason as to why you sit out a year is for the, the competitiveness and not taking from your old school and, and you know, trade secrets to your new school. Um, so in that instance, you could transfer, as, you know, as, as willingly as you want to from one year to the next, and you could even do it within – uh, you know, a two and a half years or so, if you were able to get enough credits to graduate within that amount of time. Yeah. And, and that's a great point. And that's, that's such a gray area because I totally understand the, the non-compete aspect. And, and I use that example and I, and I'm stealing that from a good friend and another podcaster, Jeffrey, the Greek, who, who said, you know, okay, at, at, not so much for me at my job, but at your job, Bip, um, I don't know if you sign a non-compete or not, but at most companies, most corporations, they'll make you sign that. And you're basically saying, okay, if I leave or if I get let go, I cannot go and work with a competitor or somebody who's in the same similar market um, for at least another year. Sometimes it's 18 months. And so I think that's a good analogy for college athletics because you don't want to have somebody going from uh, an ACC school to a rival ACC school and say, okay, this is how they run their practices. This is what these signals mean. This is, um, you know, their, their grand scheme. This is kind of their bread and butter. And I know that, you know, there's the old adage that if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And so this stuff's they're trying to do that at all schools anyway, but it mm -hmm. certainly would try and put a little bit of a, a lid on some of the openness and, and, um, you know, trying to keep it more of a game and, and less of a, a business. So, um, you know, one player transfers from one place to the next and, and they're not giving away trade secrets, like you said. Yeah. And, and I remember listening to that on the podcast as well and thought that that was an, an excellent analogy of the, um, the non-compete clause, uh, or, you know, signing that, that people yeah. in, the, in the, the business world sign all the time. So, right. um, now one of the, one of the thoughts that I had to, uh, kind of modifying the transfer rules as they are today, I thought maybe creating a cap on the number of transfer players um, that your your team can accept per year might also limit that because as, as we've seen right now, it's got to be pretty easy for a lot of guys to throw their name in the transfer portal and say, I'm going to go to the U because look at everyone that they're compiling in the, you know, on a talent basis um, down there. Yeah. So maybe creating a, a cap so that way teams would have to be selective of saying, okay, well, we're only going to take these three guys and these are the elite guys. So then that gives everyone that's in the transfer portal or thinking about going to the transfer portal saying, all right, well, I know that my talent level is here mm -hmm. and I don't know if maybe I could make it at Bama or Miami or Tennessee or Michigan um, you know, I would maybe only be subjected to a Mac school or a Mount West team or something like that. So you don't have a team like Penn State where you have 11 guys thinking that, all right, well, it's open season. 
I can go to basically any school that I want to within reason mm-hmm. and they could go ahead and accept me because they have the space on their roster. But if there's a cap in place, maybe that gives a little bit more of a hesitation and more of a thought process to these guys wanting to jump. And that's where I really think, and I've thought this for a few years now, that the NCAA needs to step in and say, okay, look, we're not going to have it where some conferences give you a scholarship on a yearly basis and you can lose your scholarships and have them pulled. And then other conferences or other teams are going to say, you know what, we're going to give you a four-year scholarship and we're going to honor it for four years. I think that's the way it should be. Uh, I mean, obviously there's, there's circumstances that might need you to um, pull someone's scholarship, whether it be disciplinary, whether it be medical, whatever the case may be. But just from a competitive standpoint, I, I think that that is one of the worst things that we see in, in college athletics is where you you have a kid who's coming there uh, presumably for academics with athletics as well, and you promise them the world, and then somebody better comes along next year, and it's, sorry, Charlie, and now we're going to have to make you turn around your whole future and your whole process because mm-hmm. of the fact that um, we are selfish and we want something more for us and we're going to screw you over in the process. So oh, yeah. I, I agree with that. I think a cap is a great idea. So that way it does prevent some of those schools from saying, okay, um, we've got five guys we want to target on the transfer portal. Uh, we've already got 10. So we're going to snip five scholarships from guys who are deserving just so we can pick the, the cream of the crop from the Penn States and the Virginia Techs. Yeah, I, I get disgusted when I hear about the oversigning that schools have. And, you know, this guy was thought of to be good enough to be part of our recruiting class one year, but he's not good enough because we have so many other guys coming in. And I mean, I guess at the at the crux of it, it is all about competition, best player plays. Well, sure. But you do commit to these guys and you say, I will give you a four year or you should say, I will give you a four year opportunity at uh, gaining your education at our at our um university mm-hmm. how and you'll compete for us uh in return and yeah. um you know i i just always hate the the stories of this guy lost a scholarship um going into his sophomore year because they oversigned and someone had to uh you know someone had to get cut so yeah and and i would even say you know because a lot of guys now are, are graduating in three years so maybe even if you said okay we're going to give you a three-year scholarship. And then after that, and I don't know how this would all apply and how the logistics would work out, but after the three years, then you can make a determination, but at least give a guy three years where if he's going to go there, presumably for an education, which believe it or not, I would say uh, a considerable number over half or over 50% are actually there um, for an education first. And it's great to see those. And it's great to hear those stories. Um, but you give them that three year scholarship. And then after that point, you can say, okay, well, um, you at least can give them a prep and say, all right, looking into next year, um, there's a potential where we might uh, not have a scholarship open for you. So that way you can either go into the transfer market or, um, you can, figure out what's going to be best for you as an individual, as opposed to a year by year. And we're just going to pull the plug because this year's crop seems to be best for us. Yeah. And if you're strict about that as the NCAA to where these scholarships have to be binding um, for at least the three or four years, then you probably have more of a stance to say, well, this player wants to transfer and he wants immediate eligibility. Well, you have to sit out for a year because this school made a promise to you uh, to keep you here for three or four years, regardless of what happens. Yeah. And so if you want to make the jump, that's up to you, but you have to have some sort of, uh, you know, something happen to it. Um, so I, I think, I think that's definitely something that needs to change in college football. Cause this over signing and these gray shirts, it, it's just a mess for, uh, and unfortunately the athletes are the ones that are, that end up getting hurt most in the long run. Yeah, they do. And so that, that gets to our next big topic, and that's uh, what about if a coach leaves? Um, so what are your thoughts? If, if a coach leaves, whether it's on his own choice or whether he's fired, how do you think that should affect a player's eligibility and whether they can transfer and how soon they can play after they transfer? Well, I'm, I'm kind of up in the air on this one because, you know, to, to make a, another analogy to – the open job market for anything outside of college athletics. Most jobs, you have the opportunity to leave your current place of employment for something better, something lateral, something geographical, whatever the case may be, unless you sign a contract that says that you're there for that amount of time. And even still, if you sign a contract, there's some 
there's some ways of getting out of it. You may have a buyout, you may have a non-compete or any number of things, but you know, for the most part, you don't have really any consequence for leaving from one place to another. So in that aspect, I understand why coaches can go from one place to another, to another, but I think it would be wise for the NCAA to come up with some penalty for coaches leaving. Um, Similar to the players, you can't stop them from leaving, but maybe have a system to where a coach, if they're an offensive or defensive coordinator, they can't call the plays for the next year. You know, they can be on the staff, they can be in practices, but they're not the ones calling the plays if they're one of these, um, you know, offensive coordinators that do call the plays or defensive coordinators that do the same. Or maybe they are not allowed to recruit for the school within a year of their transfer because they do all this recruiting uh, for their current school. Mm-hmm. Guys get committed and guys, a lot of guys commit based on the coaching staff that's there. You leave them after they're committed. And so, to, in all fairness, maybe that coach shouldn't be allowed to commit or recruit for their new school um, as sort of a penalty to make coaches think twice about, um, you know, if it's a, an amazing opportunity, they'll still do it. But if it's one of these lateral movements that they just do yeah. on a whim, maybe right. it gives them pause for thought. Right. And the word I wrote down and I circled is accountability. I think there needs to be accountability, not just for coaches, but for uh, universities, but players as well. I mean, let's not completely alleviate these players of accountability when they are making a choice of where to go. I mean, yes, it is a business and you want to better yourself in your, in your future, but let's be reminded that these are supposed to be student athletes and student comes first. So, you know, the notes that I kind of wrote down on my own here and and I'm with you, I'm kind of up in the air. I think there's a lot of gray area and, and it's really hard to go black and white on this, but if a coach leaves on his own to take a, a promotion or a lateral movement, um, I think that players should have the option to transfer but not be eligible um, immediately or, if anything, maybe after um, six games, you know, so after halfway point of the season. So that way you kind of say, well, your coach left, but we're assuming and we're hoping, we're presuming that you made this choice because you wanted the university, not the coach. Um, And this could be not just the head coach because a lot of these recruits will follow and they'll go to a school because of their position coach or because of a coordinator, not necessarily the head coach, because the head coach uh, in the grand scheme of things really has probably the the less amount of time in the cookie pot, so to speak, when, when they're going out on the recruiting trail. Um, now, if a coach is fired, um, I think that players could and should be able to transfer and be eligible, um, you know, maybe after a year as, as it is right now. But if a, if a team's put on probation or if a coach is put on probation, um, and it's kind of set up this way right now, I, I do like the idea that players are um, eligible to transfer and should be eligible immediately because the probation was not necessarily something that they were at fault with. I mean, obviously, if you're a player that gets uh, nabbed with something in some sort of uh, illegal activity, then that's on you. But if I'm a receiver at a school and we're put on probation for three years, why should I have my postseason opportunities limited because um, one of my screwball teammates couldn't get his act together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because for, for a situation like that, not only are you limited uh, in, in, in relation to exposure for not being allowed in a bowl game, but you're also um, being some of the cool opportunities of playing college football are being taken away from you. You can't go to a bowl game for three years. Yeah. You don't have any of those experiences. Um, and, and so especially if it's uh something that's um, out of the player's control, I think for sure that that should be, um, you know, some of the extenuating uh, circumstances for sure. And I think clearly with this whole transfer portal fiasco of 2019, um, the members of the NCAA, the members of the coaches association, uh, everybody who's a, uh, a higher up, on any committee is going to sit down and they're going to have to start to put some of these pieces together to um, make this process a little bit more finite. So one last question I want to hit you with bit before we kind of wrap up here is what about if a player puts his name into the portal and does not end up transferring? Do you think that there should be any sort of uh, repercussion or penalty for that player? Because it does put a, a bit of anxiety and stress on that coaching staff and his teammates. Um, you know, so aside from the, the locker room discomfort, maybe 
if if uh, if I am a receiver and I put my name in the portal and I decide that I don't transfer and nobody picks me up, should I have to maybe sit out a game or should there be some sort of um, uh, game day penalty on my part? Or do you think that, no, that's just something that, you know, it is what it is? Yeah, and I might be talking out of both sides of my mouth here because I'm strict about the I'm strict about the having a, a a penalty for if the if the player transfers. But I think that if they put their name in the transfer portal and they decide to stay, they're they're already kind of rewarding the university for staying there for the next year. Now, granted, it's not under the the best of circumstances, but coaches uh, put their names in the running for. Um, other coaching opportunities or yeah. leaving, going to interviews and whatnot all the time. And, and players have to endure that. So I think, yeah, if, that's a good point. If, if the players have to endure that, then the coaching staff could also endure it without having any major penalty. Maybe they, and, and I'm sure maybe they might run them harder in spring and fall practices for kind of a, an unofficial punishment. Um, but <laughs> I was going to say, you can't losing, do that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, losing, losing games i think that hurts the the athlete more than it should and it also hurts the the program yeah if that's you're, true if you're sitting out so i'm not sure if coaches would even go through with that sure but um yeah so i i don't think that they should be punished for it so kind of just leave it to they, in-house yeah yeah right okay all right um man this was this was a lot more good talk than uh, we i think anticipated and like you said from the start of the show this this transfer portal thing is is really got our head spinning but uh, a lot of good discussion and a lot of good um, a lot of good fodder to, to go through and and just so you're comforted by this bip it, it's not going to go away anytime soon so we're, we're safe for a while <laughs> well good it'll keep me up at night some more then exactly yep <laughs> Well, um, before we wrap up here, we do want to let you guys know where you can find us. Um, obviously, you found us on some platform, but if there's another one that might be a little bit easier for you, Bip and I both suggest that you subscribe. It's easy that way. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. All you do, you simply go, you subscribe. It downloads automatically to your system. You can It can go right to your phone if you have the capability for that. And the beauty is uh, when Bip and I wake up right on our phones, it's, it's there for us. Um, the other podcasts that we like to listen to are, are there and loaded. So you don't have to go and wait for the link to be sent out. You don't have to go and do a Google search. It's just right there. It's nice and easy. So we're on Apple, Google, Spotify, Breaker, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Radio Public. You can find us on any of those platforms. So, yeah. And if we're uh, if we're doing anything you like, things you don't like, things that you agree with, things you disagree with, we're always on Twitter, as we mentioned before uh, earlier in this podcast. Feel free to drop us a line. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Um, let us know when we're right, when we're wrong. Love to hear from you. Yeah, and and as as much as we think we know what we're talking about, we are also humble enough to take constructive criticism, which I can't say about uh, some of the other podcast hosts or some of the other college football personnel that that we see on the twitter sphere so uh we do have thick skin and we welcome it because we we love the banter back and forth so um we want to thank all of you for listening especially those who are back again and getting your taste from earlier we encourage you to continue your appetite with bowl full of chips we strongly hope you continue to subscribe to listen but also spread the word and help us be heard and if you like what you hear and are propelled to do so feel free to give us a rating with an honest and hopefully positive review. On our next episode, Bip and I are going to discuss and present to you our top returning players that are key in the drive for the CFP. So thanks for listening to A Bowl Full of Chips. I am Chappie. And I am Bip. And remember, biggest isn't always best, so thanks for choosing the right over the rest. Keep bowling, everybody.